We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Sitting in for John McKechnie, I am Alan Seslowski here with Mario Puig. As always, what's up, Mario? Hey, not much, Alan. Good to do another show with you. Thanks for jumping on. Right, right. This is our first time sitting in the uh, the Rotowire uh, Fantasy Football Podcast. But yeah, we've done a couple shows before. Uh, we love dancing together on these podcasts. And just before we start, just want to let everybody know that the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast is brought to you by WinBet. And uh, do you, you know, it's funny when I was looking at WinBet, it's Win, like the Win Casino, W Y N N. So I thought that's a pretty clever name because you want to win the bet. It's good that you clarified that. I would have typed it in wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, so uh, I'll be heading out to Vegas with some of the uh, the Rotowire crew. So uh, maybe I'll go over to Win and win a bet. You know, um, but today, do. yeah, <laughs> today what we're gonna do on this podcast is. July 1st is the day that we're recording, uh, but we're going to make this a little evergreen. A lot of people are getting into fantasy football. They're turning the page. We do it year-round. We, we study this stuff um, for, during the whole calendar, but people want to know what they've missed. We want to get them up to speed a little bit. So first and foremost, Mario, I want to like, what, what gives you the right to give people fantasy football advice? What is your edge in fantasy football? Uh, well, in, in theory, if I, if I have any standout field, it would probably be like looking at the prospects, uh, college players coming into the league, hopefully getting a beat on the kind of pro player they'll be before everybody realizes it for an obvious fact of hindsight later. So hopefully you get, you get your, you know, ground floor investments in on some of these younger players before, before the field is sharp on all of them. Uh, when you, when you go to Rotowire and check out, uh, me and John's, college and, and prospect and, and Jerry, of course, too. Um, so yeah, that's, that's probably what I'd like to talk about the most. Yeah. So you do the Rotowire rookie rankings and, you know, uh, I'll admit I use those with my early rookie drafts to, to see, you know, your baseline, your analysis, because those are before ADP poisons your mind. So when you did your rookie rankings, what was the, the rookie that you got the biggest pushback on from the market? Um, I guess, uh, in the in the in the my in my rankings being like too negative sense, the pushback was definitely around Javante Williams. And in, in my rankings being too positive pushback, uh, 
maybe Travis Etienne. I can't even tell. Uh, I guess it would either be him or uh, Trevor Lawrence, who, who I think even in one quarterback leagues probably belongs uh, in the top six or something like that. Uh, but yeah, this this year I was definitely really high on Kyle Pitts too. And I, I can't tell if that's one of those things. I, I can't tell what everyone actually believes. Like we definitely have some of the extreme enthusiasts, the extreme uh, pessimists. Maybe though most people are pretty much sold on Pitts at this point. I can't tell whether there's real pushback to that one or just like, you know, if, a, a, a minority opinion at this point. But I would I would say generally the the biggest like direct conflict in my rankings would would be the tension between Travis Etienne and uh, Javante Williams. So let's start there. I think that's a really good good point because both of these running backs are going in like the fourth and fifth round of redraft leagues, okay? Because that's what we're going to talk about right now is redraft. I just we'll, we'll... got Travis Etienne uh, like five picks after Javante Williams in an underdog tournament draft the other day, which pretty crazy to me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that that narrative is going to flip back and forth all season long, depending on the blurb of the day. I mean, you know, the, it started off where Travis Etienne uh, was going to totally remove James Robinson from his job. And now it's that he's barely going to play. You got to pick a side on this one. Right. And, you know, this is where rookie running backs usually go in that late third, fourth, fifth round if there's not clarity on their role. So. Start with Travis Etienne. I mean, you you had him as your clear cut RB one. Um, you've stuck with that. That definitely, I agree with you, was the biggest pushback that you got. So for redraft purposes, what do you see for him as for his role in the first month of the season from a PPR perspective? Yeah. So redraft the running back who has the lead is definitely Najee Harris, just because he could get, I don't know, maybe twice as many touches from scrimmage as Travis Etienne this year. With that said, in Dynasty, I would still put Etienne as the top running back because I think his career trajectory will eventually, uh, you know, eclipse Najee Harris's and pass him up. Uh, th- no slight to, to Harris for that, though. I, th- I think he's probably good. It's just more to me like Etienne is clearly one of the best running back prospects we'll see over, you know, a five-year sample, like something like that. Uh, I'd probably would rank Jonathan Taylor ahead of him. But other than that, you know, we're, we're going back several years. I'll put ETN up against any of those guys. And for me, what matters most is just f- finding like a clear skill set indicator in the production at college. And uh, once, once the produ- production is accounted for, you, you go to look to tape and, and you consider more contextual details that might've affected the production bottom line. And if, if everything kind of checks out, you then at that point, move on to the workout metrics uh not making it the sole criterion but kind of like all these things can be tiebreakers against each other depending on how the details stack up and depending on you know how the market receives everything and etn by all accounts was going to be a pretty high pick uh, there was some dispute of you know argument about is harris the best back is is it etn is it javante williams um, but we knew etn was going to go pretty high so uh with with that i was pretty confident that you know this the skill sets accounted for between his production and his uh, athleticism is accounted for in his workout metrics, which I'll get to in a second. Uh, and the and the prospect, uh, you know, being in demand pretty much ensures that he'll get workload eventually. So with all that being accounted for, then you go look at, you know, how good do you think he'll actually be uh, when you try to figure out the exact, you know, upside assessment of him. And with ETN, I, I'm immediately struck by the touchdown production that he has uh, in, in conjunction with, with the rushing average per carry, because Touchdown production is a downward pressure on the average yardage per carry uh, per t- per uh, touch generally, I guess you could say, because a lot of those touchdowns are plays where he ran away from the defense and would have kept going if it weren't mm. for the end zone tackling him. 
Uh, these aren't like necessarily uh, a, a whole lot of, you know, halfback dives from the one. A lot of these are, are plays where he could have kept going. So if you have lower touchdown count, it generally trends toward a little bit more yardage. You can kind of slip a, a few more tackles, go a little bit more uh, with the touchdowns there. That's ETN getting stopped by the constraints of the field dimensions rather than the defense. So he's got so many plays where he just decisively, you know, broke the back of the defense, you know, just, just decisively winning the play. It's not, it's not like he, he took a little bit that was there for him. It's like, he just shut down the, the whole like venue of competition basically. And that's pretty impressive to me. And you don't find numbers like that. Uh, I think it was like 60 rushing touchdowns uh, while averaging well over seven yards of carry. Normally a guy who's getting the kind of touchdown production that ETN has, it's a guy who's getting a lot of short yardage carries in, in a team and uh, an offense that just dominates and, and, you know, has a lot of time of possession, stuff like that. His, his product, his touchdowns were just constantly long range type stuff. So uh, with the long range dimension demonstrated in the skill set, you look to the athletic details to see whether it translates to the pro level and ETN, in my opinion, answered that by running a four, four, five pro day 40 at 215 pounds, which was heavier than he was expected to be. He was, he probably played more at like 205 at Clemson and he right. might, he may well go back down to 205 for the NFL, but it shows a sum of mass and speed that can be negotiated with. Like he can lose some weight, get a little faster as a trade-off. He can put that weight on, still be fast enough to be a long range threat. He's demonstrated the ability to be both of those. And incidentally, he's a pretty convincing pass catcher at this point too. So uh, ETN is, is just a, blue chip running back prospect to me in a way that few are. So why did he not come out last year? I know that was a surprise to many that he was, he was going to come to the NFL draft. I mean, probably smartly did not given that the, the level of perceived competition uh, for draft capital. Uh, but yeah. you know, I mean, what, what, what was the reason? Did he think that he needed to uh, develop a skill last he year? He seemed to be a little bit of a true believer of that. Like I want to be there for my team for years kind of thing. He, he's talking Good. about, you know, wanting to win more that stuff does not matter to me. I would have gone pro if I was him. I think that he would have had a, I think he would have gone ahead of uh, Edward Tolaire. I think he would have been the first running back drafted. Uh, maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe, maybe the only reason ETN went 25th is because of urban Meyer being in Jacksonville. It's, it's hard to know these things for sure, but whatever, you know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire was envisioned as in the, in the chief's offense, you could probably imagine uh, an improved version of that theme if, if you had ETN there. So he, he could have gone pretty high and, uh, you know, it, it worked out fine for him going, going 25th overall as a running back is, is uh, one of those deals you take without knowing the secondary details. Yeah, I think that if you just think back to last year, I think there is always a possibility that those rookie running backs are going to possibly get off to a slow start and then they could take off from there. But that's why they're going in the fourth and fifth round. I mean, you know, it's to take that risk in the in the one two turn where you have to dress Najee Harris. You, you're never even going to you're going to drop. You're never going to drop either of these guys. But yeah, there's your base. Sometimes have. Oh, sorry. Sometimes teams just have different, um, you know, institutional interests. And the Chiefs having taken Clyde Edwards Hilaire in the first round, they they at that point were like, this is not a question of can we get Clyde ready for week one? It's uh, we're going to get him ready. We have to, we have to make it happen. And I think the pits, uh, the Steelers are in that situation with Harris. So Harris is definitely going to get those carries, but yeah, guy like ETN guy like Javante Williams too. Uh, it's, it's not a definite given that the team will feel the same urgency to get them on the field that the fantasy investors do. 
Okay, if you're watching this on the live stream, feel free to comment. Let us know which one of the rookie running backs you're going to take and in which round. And we may or may not uh, take a poll and see if uh, you agree with uh, with Mario's consensus there. Mario, a quick question to you. At this point of your fantasy playing career, not as an analyst, do you prefer to play redraft or do you prefer the dynasty game? Uh, I haven't done the dynasty thing that much. It's uh, it's it's a lot of time. It's it's or at least I I feel like it takes a lot of time. I've, I've seen some people on the dynasty Twitter scene talking about how they're in like twenty five leagues, and I know some of guilty. those are best, guilty. Some, oh really? Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, I know some of those are maybe best ball, but still, like my my brain will just quite simply give out if I have to keep track of that much stuff. I'm I'm bad at keeping track of things. Uh, so I I think dynasty is more kind of. I don't know. Maybe there's, there's like more stories to kind of figure out there. There's there's more uh, obviously the long term interest being uh, added makes makes you consider things that don't matter in redraft. So there's always much more to think about. But um, my favorite format, I guess, is just kind of like best ball of either sort. Right. The least of, maintenance, the least amount yeah, of maintenance. I'm just too stupid to remember to do things on time. So <laughs> yeah. if I have to set my lineups, I'll probably screw up at least once. See, that's the thing with dynasty leagues and dynasty players is that when you play in one, you end up playing in 15 leagues. And the reason is because when you're done with the startup, you're like, ah, I could have done it better. And then you have to get into another one. And that's why I prefer to play in those like deep league dynasty leagues where you have your, you know, the 30 man yeah. leagues because there is no waiver wire. There's no that's maintenance. Yeah. You know, you I, just kind of. Incidentally, I, my favorite best ball format is that 30 round type that the NFC mm -hmm. has because it's like. Ah. You really need to know your stuff. You can't. You can't go in those last eight rounds guessing. You're you're gonna lose. So, uh, for for someone who dwells on you know the trivial details as much as me, that that kind of suits me better. Yeah. The reason I uh, also ask is that because you know we've been doing Dynasty since January, since the season more or less ended in February, and we have our Dynasty rankings and we're drafting our young players. And then what happens is the redraft rankings come out and it basically pours cold water on our rankings. All these nice young players that we draft high in our redraft rankings are low, you know, in super flex leagues, the Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, it's like, Oh, we're taking them as like the QB 14. And then all of a sudden the redraft ranking comes out and they're like QB 30. And you're like, Oh, and that happens in the opposite direction for the older running backs. And that's what I want to ask you about next. Cause we're trying to give the best fantasy football tips. We're trying to give you guys the secret to winning, right? I, I know you're hiding the secret in your, in a lock safe back there, Mario, but some of the older kind of stinky running backs that nobody wants that in that running back would I've been heard. I've heard it called on Twitter, the dead zone, but I think I like some of those running backs. Where are you at on like the Mike Davises, the David Montgomery's, because there's a lot of good wide receivers that you have to take early. And sometimes you're passing on optimal wide receiver talent to take running backs like Joe Mixon that you may not love taking in the second round. So on these Mike Davis, uh, those, those four fifth round running backs, are any of them sticking out as guys that you want to roster and redraft this year? Well, I think Montgomery is, you know, he's got the workload security that, that kind of just sets his floor pretty high. I, I think he's one of those guys that you can consider worth drafting, even if you don't really convince yourself that you're high on them specifically, uh, because there's this, you know, there's a certain amount that's just about predetermined with a guy like him, him health permitting. I personally don't consider Mike Davis that category of job security because I, I know looking at the depth chart right now, it certainly appears like there's no one who can challenge him. And I, I'd probably agree to that. I, I don't think Allison is a real NFL back. I don't think Javian Hawkins is more than like a 15 snap kind of player or something like that. But it would not be surprising at all if the Falcons added somebody 
be it a waiver pickup at final cuts or some sort of conditional sixth, seventh round pick kind of trade, that kind of stuff has a way of happening, uh, especially, you know, when you're, when you're talking about a team with such an obviously weak depth chart at the position as the Falcons have. So I, I think you look at that and it's like, you know, it can't get worse. Uh, like the talent level can only get worse. I.e., Davis's job security can only get worse too. Uh, it, it's, it's, or sorry, it's, it, they're going. They're going to add some. If they add anything, it will get better, and Davis's security will necessarily decrease. So, in theory, if if everything stays similar to the way it is, if his, you know, closest competition is still a running back as bad as Allison come week one, I guess I'll have been wrong about that. But uh, having to make that call on July first, I, I, I have to worry about somebody, you know, like a Royce Freeman or I guess Melvin Gordon. The way. People are kind of talking some kind of running back is going to get cut or traded for not much. And it's, and it's Atlanta specifically, you would have to pinpoint as the favorite in the entire league to take whoever that player is. Okay. So I'm going to, te- we're going to play a little game now, Mario. And um, I'm just going to tease the game and then we're going to do a short commercial break, not for our live viewers, only for our, our podcast viewers. And then we'll come back and play the game. So the game is going to be, I'm going to name a player. You're going to guess what their current ADP is. And then I'm going to reveal the answer to you, and then you are going to tell me. You're going to use your your Swami skills, your crystal ball, and you're going to tell me where their ADP is going to be uh, Labor Day weekend when we all draft, okay? So that's that's what we're going to do. But first, we're going to take a break with a couple short words from our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Concert. Okay, we're back. All right, Mario. Uh, that was a, a th- uh, riveting words from our sponsor. But uh, all right, so we're going to play the game. For those of you um, who are here with us live, we appreciate it. So the game that we're going to play is I'm going to name a player. Mario is going to try to guess their current ADP. I will then reveal the ADP, and then Mario will tell us all the secret to where their ADP will be in August. And we're going to hold him accountable to this, okay? Uh <laughs> So the first one is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Where do you think his current ADP is in real drafts for real money? Sorry, which uh, venue is this? Which site? Um, I just took an average of all of them, but let's oh, figure what you're going to figure uh, 
PPR leagues, and you're going to figure one quarterback leagues. Okay. Um, so I took an average, by the way, of underdog and the and the NFFC stuff. Okay. Uh, I would guess this, if, for those particular places, it'll trend a bit higher than some others. Mm-hmm. And so I will say 16.5. You're close. He's 21. Okay. So which means nice. basically you have him, in, but actually that is a significant difference because 16 is basically you're taking him on the wrap. 21 means you can more or less get him anywhere in the second round you want. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're that is, you know it may only seem like five spots, but it's a big difference. Where do you think Clyde Edwards Hilaire will be when we when most of our casual leagues draft on September first? Uh, Nineteen. Oh, so you think he's going to fall? Explain that. Oh no, sorry. I thought I thought um I thought I picked too high. At 16 oh right, and, and right. You thought he's going to be sixteen. So I think he'll so- go a little higher, uh, just because, it, or at least in my opinion, it's pretty obvious that he doesn't have real competition there. I think Jarek McKinnon, uh, like there's there's a there's a tendency in the fantasy media scene when we receive news of running back workouts or running back signings to do this thing where if we've heard the name before in any capacity, we say that the starter is in trouble now. It's like, oh, I've heard of Jarek McKinnon. That's a bad look for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire to have a backup named Jarek McKinnon. If I need to see uh, either no backup or a running back I've never heard of or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is in trouble. And Jarek McKinnon is exactly the opposite. It's like you want to see the backup be a harmless player like Jarek McKinnon or Darrell Williams. If you if you got a backup there who's good, now you do have a reason to worry about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire's workload. But uh, unless unless the Chiefs add some running back, and maybe they will, it's uh, they you know they've done. Uh, like the Carlos Hyde trade a couple of years ago, or I guess they were trading him. And away. you know, or, even when they traded for, was. even when they Sorry. traded for Le'Veon Bell last year, that was a at the time that was scary. I mean, obviously it yeah, proved to be nothing. Was, it made, that was one of those things where it it just didn't mean anything other than the team was adding a player that could theoretically give them some depth at basically no cost to them. And Clyde Edwards-Helaire turned twenty one just that prior spring. He's five seven two oh seven, taking on a big workload. The rookie wall is a very real thing. It makes sense to add a running back like that in that case. And in crucially, I think Bell is even more threatening uh, than Jarek McKinnon would have been. And Le'Veon Bell turned out to be not much of a threat. And meanwhile, we have reason to believe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, now still just 22, which is you know pretty young to have the workload that he has had already and, and figures to have going forward. He should be a better version of himself this year. So I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is, is clearly a, a really sound value uh, right now. I think in PPR, you can probably argue for like top 15, something like that, especially yeah. if it's a league where they, the running backs go really high. Uh, and I think that it, once people think more about what Jarek McKinnon and Darrell Williams actually are as running backs, maybe they'll realize like these two can't really threaten Clyde Edwards hilarious. Maybe someone else can, but not these two. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm a little more aggressive. I think he'll be going on the one-two turn uh, come draft day for most of our leagues. All right, Chris Carson, what do you think his current ADP is right now when we record in early July? Uh, 32. You're on the money, my friend, 33, which basically means he's a late third-round pick. Where do you think he will be going when, uh, when, when everything's on the line and we're drafting our team, say, in September? Well, I don't really see his surrounding circumstances changing at all. So if his health stays the same, if he doesn't, you know, twist an ankle or something between now and then, I think he'll mostly stay there. It would have, if he has movement in the ADP, I guess it would have to be from other players moving up and down and maybe 
just takes up whatever space is created when that happens. Don't really have anything at the top of my mind as far as that's as far as by the way by the way stay the same is an acceptable answer yeah so i'll I'll say uh 30 you know two so i the reason i pick chris carson is because he follows the same adp uh pattern over the last three years he's undervalued and then he goes to let's say overvalued i don't even want but he he's one of the biggest movers in the in the top five rounds for the last three years he's considered an old guy even when he was 24 he's 27 now i believe and uh or he's close to it and he is uh he and people what happens is they get on the clock and they're like oh he's he's the unquestioned starter uh in a Pete carroll offense and they're gonna feed him and he catches passes so you know, that's why he always moves yeah. up. Uh, you know, last year at this time, you had you had um, like ESPN analysts, like even like someone like Matthew Berry was touting him and he, he moved into the, uh, the mid second round. All right, let's do this again. So uh, Kyle Pitts is an interesting case because everyone wants Kyle Pitts to be, you know, the, this generational prospect and they're not even entertaining the aspect that it could go wrong. Now, we all know the reasons why, but even, and we, we've heard him compared to Megatron before, but I did a quick Google search of Megatron's rookie year stats. It was 48 catches for 750 yards and four touchdowns. That's a disaster where you have to draft Kyle Pitts. What do you think his current ADP is right now? Uh, it fluctuates, I'm pretty sure, from draft to draft because it's uh, yeah, know, it's always like a, you're always at an extreme when you're making the pick. You know, there's there's always somebody who who will be way above the median, and and if that person isn't there, maybe they maybe he slides a little bit. Uh, so yeah, he probably has like a high standard deviation among all players. I you're guess, right. Uh, the overall ADP, um, forty five. By the way, you for okay, first of all, you hit it on the head. It's exactly 45.0. And second of all, um, if you're listening to this on the podcast, I get to watch Mario and I see steam coming out of his ears while he's uh, he's making this calculation. It's unbelievable. Um, so okay, so 45. So it's basically the end of the fourth round on the four-five turn is probably where he's been going. Where do you think this is going? Let's say okay, I'm gonna even make up a scenario for you. Preseason week one. Makes one of those Kyle Pitts likes catches in the end zone where he rips it out of the defender's hand. What happens to his ADP? I guess it could go higher, but generally, I think he's maxed out. I think people already are presupposing that you know, like they, they're, they're maybe they're maybe his standard deviation will decrease a little bit, but I don't know if he can really go much higher because there's usually a he- there's a healthy number of drafts, especially in best ball, where you'll see him go something like thirty fifth. 40 you know extreme cases that's not what usually happens but that that is that level of enthusiasm is already there it seems like so i almost think it would be more likely that he slips a little that like uh if he if he has a preseason game where he doesn't do uh megatron stuff maybe people will be like oh i knew he sucked eighth round with you uh not, not exactly that far but uh, it's it's just almost hard to believe a rookie tight end could go any higher in the ADP than he is, and I'm, I say that as someone who's totally sold. Like I'm, I am more likely to be the person who's bidding way too much than than a you know anyone who's passing on him at any particular price. So uh, I I think he's just kind of as advertised, and it's it's going to be hard for the, the narrative to get disrupted by him. Uh, or the, the narrative on him is it's going to be difficult to dislodge from this point because he's not going to give it any reason to. He's not going to get on the field and look bad. And I don't think it can get any higher though. 
So, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast on July 1st, that means you're a hardcore fantasy football player and you know what you're doing. But you also, we want to urge you to go over and try Rotowire Premium. We have our rankings up there for free right now. If you go to rotowire.com forward slash try, you can go in there. You don't need a credit card. You just sign up with your email and you can get all of the premium tools for 10 days free. You can see Mario's premium football content, Chris List's rankings. They're all up there for free right now. Just go to rotowire.com forward slash try. All right, so we were just talking about Kyle Pitts. Now, that leads me into a uh, one of our secrets to winning your fantasy football league, and that's what we're going to give people right now. How are you going to handle the tight end position in 2021? It, you know, there's a lot of different ways. And, you know, and, and I say 2021, but it's almost any year. There's always a, a first-round tight end. This year, it's Travis Kelsey. There's always some values and overvalues in the next couple rounds. And then there's the wait-on tight end crowd. Tell me how you're going to do it, and what do you think the optimal way, if you, um, uh, or if there's many paths to the tight end game in 2021? Yeah, I think that the the markets are sharp enough on the tight ends in most leagues that the one you end up with, or the one that it makes sense for you to target, is largely dictated by where you're drafting from. And if you're, for instance, tenth overall pick, and you know Travis Kelsey, he usually goes seven or eight or something like that. If you're on the clock at ten and he's there, it makes more sense than in most other cases for you to take him. And it's, it's uh, not necessarily wrong to pass on him there, but it it's easier to make the call than in some other cases, you'll, you'll have some other spots where, you know, you're looking at in the second round and you don't really like the receivers that much. Maybe you already took the one running back you wanted to, and you're three or four spots ahead of what the ADP says for Darren Waller and George Kittle. Uh, I personally think it's fine to take them in that case, just because, uh, and maybe this is like arrogant process, but I think you can get, correct answers later at receiver that most people just don't really think of. So if you're correct in your ability to identify the right receivers later on, there's nothing that, you know, in the hindsight story of your fantasy team is going to lament taking Darren Waller or George Kittle in that spot. Like they, they are pretty much locks health permitting to do what you're expecting them to. And then, you know, we you get to the, the lower certainty, the lower upside of the later tight ends as long as you are making the right shots at running back receiver uh, quarterback, there's nothing wrong with having whatever that, you know, 10th best tight end in the league. If you're paying like, you know, just some, some efficient collection of prices on all the players in question. So it's, it's a, you have to pull it off over the course of the whole draft, whatever you're doing, you have to have kind of like a coherent understanding of how your team structure is going to go and, and what the market might look like for the picks that you have to work with and, and kind of be pragmatic about it. And, uh, you know, don't, don't do too any, don't do anything too wild as far as reaches, but if, if you have the supplementing logic to make it all work, I, I would, you know, feel free to trust yourself in that case. Who are some of the, if you are going to do the wait on tight end game, who are some of the players that you have confidence in? I don't mean just taking tight end 17 and being like, oh my God, it's got two catches for 20 yards in week one. I'm, I'm totally screwed. But like, if you're going to take a tight end, like round seven through 11, right? I'm just, you know, I'm giving you a wide range because th- that's kind of a clump, right? Um, who are that's the ones that the you're dead zone for me actually? Cause okay. Uh, so you're totally out after Hawkinson and it's a little the earlier part of that range it's probably a little too early to take fant but that's probably the next guy that i'm willing to take at let's go later prices. than that let's go okay. like from adp wise outside of the top 12 or let's say tight end 11 to tight end 16 who are you know and again you could you can be liberal with that adp ranking but who are some of the guys that we should target in our one tight end league one qb league ppr and feel pretty good about it 
for me, it's Janu Smith. I've been, he's got to be my most owned tight end just because it's so cheap to draft him. Sometimes, sometimes he's my tight end one, which I feel comfortable about in those cases, because I, if I'm right about him and I'm right about the receivers and running backs, the, the sum should work itself out, even if he's not, you know, a top five tight end or something like that. But I think he's pretty badly overlooked right now. And maybe that changes. Maybe people start looking more at the fact that he was actually paid a bit more than Hunter Henry and make of that what you will, but it, it definitely gives them a little more institutional incentive to feed him. And I'm talking about the guaranteed money. It's the, the overall annual payment might look the same, but there's a little bit more guaranteed money. John who's harder to cut or restructure than, than Hunter Henry is. And even before looking at that, I think you have reason to look at his skill set and look at the things Bill Belichick has done what Josh McDaniels has done in the past with tight ends. And it's pretty clear that Johnny Smith is there to, yeah, block a, a hefty amount. I'm sure he's, he's really good at it. That makes sense when they're running to have Johnny Smith out there run blocking, but when they're throwing the ball, he's pretty clearly their best option underneath. And he's got the kind of speed, the kind of underneath pass catching skill set that doesn't necessarily show up in his Tennessee usage. Like there, his, his blocking prowess was almost a liability for his fantasy purposes because he would have to stay in and block and, and take these kind of just screen pass design plays while they try to pull a linebacker underneath to keep the, the breaking over the middle route off the play action open for Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. With the Patriots, it's going to be more like they're just going to make Johnny Smith run routes uh, and then build the offense around him, if that makes sense. They're not starting with the prior point of, we got to get A.J. Brown and Corey Davis open off the play action, and then Janu can do this stuff within that framework. It's going to be more like Janu could be one of the main engines of the offense, and he's, you know, 4.65 speed, uh, 250. He, his his uh, freshman or second year at Florida International is one of the best collegiate uh, seasons for a tight end that that's ever been recorded. He really can catch passes in a variety of looks. The way he's been used in Tennessee is, is not – uh, an accurate portrayal of what he's capable of. And I think the money that the Patriots are paying him shows that they agree with that. They think we can think of some other stuff for him to do and, you know, rest in peace. Uh, you know, it's, it's of course a uh, dreary to bring him up, but Aaron Hernandez was a very productive player with a very similar skill set, very similar athletic dimensions as Johnny Smith. So there's nothing especially theoretical about how it could look. Bill Belichick has already done it. And Johnny Smith does have objective similarities to that. And if the role exists, he's clearly the most qualified for it. And the last thing, he's less likely to play in line than Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry is the one who's more likely to get in line snaps of the two. And that's not to say Henry is a bad pick either. I think he goes so late. Sometimes he's a good pick too, but he will have the more difficult blocking tasks and the, the, the routes that are more likely to be in the middle of the field in traffic. Like John is the one who, who's more likely to get running loose. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny because I'm sitting here, you know, I, I love the pick because Jonu Smith is the guy that I'm targeting too. So the leagues that we're in together, we might be fighting for him a little bit. I know that we all have, you know, we, we don't zero in on players, but that's definitely one I'm, I'm targeting too. Uh, and I forget sometimes I'm sitting here, uh, I'm hosting this podcast, but I, I'm just enjoying it as a fan. Uh, I, I'm enjoying listening to your takes on this stuff. And obviously, if you listen to this podcast, you're a big fan of Mario's and John's takes as well. All right, let's go back to our game a little bit here. Um, I'm going to, again, give you a player. You're going to guess the ADP and then we're going to project his ADP and then we'll have a conversation that kind of stems off of that. Okay. Damian Harris has been a hot name in early July. Uh, all of a sudden there's some blurbs coming out that he's the unquestioned running back one. We're going to, you know, we're my, you know, we're going to play the game, but th I know that your analysis is going to be based on who's the starting quarterback. So let's start with right now. Where do you think his ADP is? Uh, let's say 88. 
Oh, you're look. Do you have the answers in front of you? That's the exact number. I mean, I've been on underdog, you know, the past however many days, but I've, I'm not uh, looking at anything. You're studying that underdog ADP like it's the Torah. It's, I mean, I mean, you 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 get it, man. You get it. All right, and so that's the early seventh round, right? Ish. Wait, ish. What was the number? Eighty-eight. Oh, okay. Do the math for me real quick. You're uh, so that's around the seventh round, right? Because uh, uh, early seventh, mid seventh. Yeah. Or, so no, <laughs> early eighth, mid eighth. Early eighth. Sorry. Okay. All right. I, yep. All right. So where do you think it's going? Okay. Let, again, I don't even want to say September. I guess it's going higher because, like, I I thought everybody already agreed and knew that he was clearly the running back one and the with New England. No, the market said, didn't. The market I did not agree said, on no, that. Thank you. And I was like, oh, fair enough. I, I get it. He's not, he's not expected anyway to catch a lot of passes. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, run exclusive task that he might have. I'm not convinced that that's truly the case. Like he was pretty good pass catcher at Alabama. I don't really think there's any reason he can't do it. Uh, it just seems like Belichick kind of has been working him in slowly the last two years. Like he was a healthy scratch all of his rookie year, which really slowly. Uh, did not turn out to matter at all. Like he was pretty convincing as a running last year and, and they seemed to go with him over Sony Michelle. So uh, they, they almost have to go with Harris over Michelle for just, you know, durability reasons. Like you, they can, they can believe that Michelle is more or less as good of a runner as Harris and still say, but we got to keep him on the bench to limit the number of hits that he's going to take. And I, I think that's the way it was obviously going to go. But if, if people thought that there was a workload split there at the very least, Sony Michelle was going way too late in drafts that whole time. Uh, he often goes undrafted, maybe typically in best ball drafts. So if people thought Damian Harris was not secure in that workload, they should have been taking Michelle higher. Uh, I guess they could have been wrongly taking Stevenson too high, Ramondre Stevenson the, uh, the whole time. I think he's an interesting prospect, but Belichick is pretty tough on rookie running backs. Like he healthy scratched James White and Damian Harris for both of their rookie years. And as much as I like Stevenson, I don't think he's particularly close to Harris as a prospect. So I think it's going to be you know, James White uh, with the passing down stuff, Damian Harris as the second in line for it. Uh, maybe it's Michelle who's second in line. Maybe maybe Michelle is the Burkhead role at this point. I don't really know. But Harris, if, if people thought that he was n not the clear starter at the previous price, I guess this price has to go up. And that's actually a bummer to me because I, I don't know if I want to take him at a higher price than before. I thought he was the right price previously. Yeah, I mean, you're going to start seeing Damian Harris in some drafts immediately reacting to this news going to the late fifth round. It's just going to happen. That's what people do. Uh, but I think that who the quarterback actually is is going to really determine Damian Harris's fantasy value. Obviously, if if we knew Cam Newton was playing you know, a full season, the under over on touchdowns is nine and a half rushing touchdowns. So that would greatly affect the running back. So that, that he's going to be an interesting one to monitor. Okay, here's our next player. DJ Shark, what do you think his ADP is right now? Uh, it's like 71 or something. You're cheating. I'm convinced you're cheating. It's it's 70. You're just doing it now. Just, you said the I've, one I've number off. I've these things for too long. It's the same reason why I have like, uh, you know, Ray Lowry's senior year stats at Old Dominion seared into my mind. It's it's uh, well, it's not, you know what? It's not you, normal. You, I realize that your memorization of these of these ADPs is also your charm, Mario. So uh, the you, the listener, I'm sure appreciates that. All right, so DJ Shark. So my immediate thought when the Jaguars secured the number one pick was, oh my god, this is going to be amazing for DJ Shark. They did bring in Marvin Jones, who profiles as you know a competent, good NFL player, and obviously there's some LaVisca Chenault buzz going on right now. Uh, there's, there, you know, do, is DJ Shark going to be a consistent producer, or is he somebody that's going to have these highs and lows and be a little bit more frustrating for fantasy, in your opinion? Well, at his current price, I think 
uh, we have i think we can just say it doesn't even really matter like at this current price he can be inconsistent and still be a positive value as long as he has his big games his big moments and i'm maybe i'm getting greedy but i think that he could have the the big moments and the consistency both i, I don't really see any obvious grounds to be so pessimistic as to put him at 71 and you know pass on him to take kind of the risky second running back wave or, the, or third wave, I guess you might say. Uh, I'm always taking Chark in that place. I'm always taking the receivers in that place. I understand um, some of the general pessimism around the Jaguars, like especially if someone's saying, I don't trust Urban Meyer. I think he's a dumb guy, et cetera. Stop there for one second. Stop there. Why, I've, I just heard that today. And again, I've, I've heard it a couple times, but what is that? What has he done other than pick a running back in the first round, which we all like, we like Travis Etienne. What has he done that people are saying they don't trust him? What What is this general distrust of Urban Meyer? Explain it to the to the fantasy world out here. Yeah, I guess I I don't know how to speak for everyone. There's probably a wide range of reasons. He kind of objectively doesn't seem like a great guy. He's he's an easy guy to to find as a dubious as a character. And some of the stuff that he said since taking over the Jaguars is a little concerning. I can't remember. What, there was there was something that he said uh, that I about not I almost, about I almost, how we, he really wanted Kadarius Tony things like that. Oh, that's terrifying too. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Uh, that's that's terrifying. Uh, he apparently uh, said like he had to be explained to by his G. I don't know if it was Balky or somebody else had to explain to him like, well, the calorie the the sorry the salary cap works like this. Uh, you can't just sign everybody that you want to. And he was kind of like, what? Uh, what, what do you mean and so if if that's if that's truly where he was starting at, uh with with you know his his introduction to the nfl learning how it all works if he was at that starting point maybe that's not good i almost couldn't believe the story i thought he was kind of just you know leaving it out there to make make people think he was dumber than he actually is kind of thing but maybe i'm wrong maybe he is that what? dumb and he's uh, specifically as it goes to shark uh he, he apparently was saying something like, oh, I don't think he played tough. I don't think he played well last year. And that's one of those things that it's, it's tough to know what it means. Most coaches don't do this nowadays, but Bill Parcells used to say things like that all the time about like his favorite players. Right. Uh, he, he would, he would, he would just be hard on them to the press. And I think that's like a, I, it's like a weird thing to do. I, I don't think I would put my players out uh, to dry like that to the press, but some some guys just think that way. Uh, sometimes they are good enough, successful enough as coaches for the players to put up with it, such as Parcell's case. But if you're a loser coach and you pull that stuff, it's a good way to get the locker room to hate you pretty quick. So right, you gotta have uh, credibility. Myers putting himself on thin ice with that one. We'll see where it goes. But I think Chark has shown, uh, particularly two years ago, but also his LSU career and even last year. He's he demonstrated he's clearly like an above average starting receiver in the NFL. He may have been less than what he could have been last year, but I don't even really see it that way. I remember him being open with Mike Glennon, just, he may as well have been just, uh, you know, volleyball serving that those passes. It was just, it was trash. Nothing you can do with it. And Myers uh, bone to pick over that seemed to be something like, Oh, but you should have boxed out tougher and, and, you know, gotten yourself clobbered more for this useless target in a meaningless game on your tanking team. Um, so that, that stuff's just, noise to me i don't care at all and a big reason why i don't care is because what is urban meyer going to do about this is he going to put philip dorsett on the field instead does he want to see how that's going to work he can try it uh he can see how that goes but do we have any doubt that he'll just look like a fool almost immediately and, and backtrack on his his decision uh, that's that's to me the worst case scenario and i don't think it's particularly like a, i think it 
to be fair to Meyer, as much as I'm skeptical of him, I think it's more likely he was doing the Parcells thing because he's thinking, oh, this guy needs some tough love. I need him right. uh, to, to tap into this next level because he's one of my more talented players and I need him to step up. I think it's more along that lines, even if I think it's kind of silly to go about it the way he did. Yeah, I was going to make the uh, the bad pun in total road wire fashion that it's urban legend, but, you know, there we go. All right, so uh, <laughs> I, I could see you rolling on the floor. All right, so here we go. I'm going to give you a, a uh, just a couple more rapid-fire stuff here because um, sure. we do want to give you the secrets to winning your league this year. And, you know, when we say secrets, obviously we're it, it's it's a little bit more of tongue-in-cheek, but your opinion matters, uh, Mario. You're an experienced player. Um, people, you know, we, we don't recommend that you just – do what we say, but take what we say, process it, process it, and then put your own take on it. But um, I think you you do come at things from a unique angle. All right, Kyler Murray in everyone's book is a top three, four, five quarterback, right? DeAndre Hopkins is one of those players I was talking about before, which goes lower in dynasty, but in redraft, he's a second round pick. I mean, you know, you can't get anything more solid than DeAndre Hopkins, only 29 years old. But if Kyler Murray is going to be a top five quarterback and DeAndre Hopkins is going to be a, um, you know, top six receiver there's got to be another wide receiver on that team that's going to be a top 24 wide receiver it's just it has to be by the math who's it going to be i would say christian kirk especially in ppr scoring i think kirk is going to be the main replacement for larry fitzgerald in the slot i think aj green could do it in you know especially standard scoring where the where the touchdowns take a greater share of the point total but uh yeah kirk I mean, he was, he was a dynamite player at Texas A&M. He was a four-year starter. He was their best receiver as a true freshman. His athletic testing is totally good. He's had productive moments in his career in the NFL, too. It's just been disrupted by injury. And I think last year, playing out of position in a pretty much impossible task of getting open in a Cliff Kingsbury offense. So uh, I don't think it's hard to get open in the slot, so I'm not worried about him there. And I think that uh, bad as Cliff might be, he can't really get worse, and Kirk uh, is at the very least very cheap in drafts. So if whatever risk is there is more than accounted for, I, I think Rondell Moore is, is the landmine in that group. Oh, okay. So you're out on the rookie Rondell Moore. That's this interesting. Year. This year, like, this know, year, 20, redraft five snaps a game. That's it. Yeah. Hey, you know what I, I meant to ask you, are you pro kicker and defense in your leagues or anti kicker and defense or neutral? I don't care, I guess, because whichever way it is, it's like, you just, you know, add it to the formula or whatever. It's it's not like it's impossible to figure out. It's just, uh, I, I would hate, okay, I'll, I'll be against kickers and defenses if I have to set lineups. Uh, well, yeah, well, I'm talking about in most leagues, you have to okay. set your lineups. Well, I just don't, that's not any. That's not on the principle though of of the actual league type. That's just me not wanting to deal with it. So. Well, that's exactly it. The grind, the kicker grind, is horrendous. I I, I personally don't like it, but I understand. Uh, I heard ball, the. I think it's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, because you don't have to. As long as, especially now, there are a lot of um, a lot of platforms are changing to team kicker. So if your kicker gets fired, you still have the Arizona kicker, whoever that might be. Yeah. All right, uh, handcuffing people. That that's been something in fantasy football that's been going on for two decades. People are pro handcuff. People are anti handcuff. It seems like every year, most people are anti handcuff of your own players, but there's always a couple premium guys. I mean, going back about seven, eight years, you remember when uh, Ben Tate was uh, Arian Foster's handcuff and you had to take him in like the fifth or sixth round. Forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes that's why the the anti-handcuff people push back. For those of you who have been living under a rock, handcuffing is the practice of taking your backup running back to one of your studs running back, buying an insurance policy. But obviously, a lot of times there's a premium to pay for that. Are there any handcuffs in fantasy football in a 17-game season? 
A lot of the narrative on fantasy football now is get those handcuffs because some of your stars are going to be rested, just like NBA players. Who are the premium? Do you believe in handcuffing? Are there premium handcuffs? And which one would you proactively try to draft in 2021? I think handcuffing can make sense as long as you have a reasonable perspective on why you're doing it. And if, if you're doing it out of just a you know blind chase of, of perceived security, then you're probably going to do it wrong. But particularly in redraft and particularly when you're very invested in like a three down high upside kind of running back, it makes sense to use a trivial late pick on that person's you know, supposed backup, because then if your high investment gets hurt, you've already got the insurance and you got it cheap. You didn't have to put up, you know, 80% of your fab trying to buy their backup after week two or whatever. So it makes sense to get your players handcuffed for that reason. I think also though, uh, if, if you're for some reason making a pick, uh, if you, if you're just decided that you're going to take a running back, like a theoretically, like a handcuff type in a certain round, it does make sense in some cases to pass on the security for the player you already have. And instead speculate on, you know, short the interests of some other players running uh, some other fantasy uh, player in your, in your leagues uh, running back. So if, if you've got Zeke uh, you know, you do want that Pollard handcuff uh, including if you don't have Zeke. So uh, if, if you're on the clock in some round and you're like, I got to take a running back here. I want it to be a handcuff type you know, if Pollard's the going rate wherever you're picking, it doesn't make sense to to chase your security for uh, whatever it is. I don't know. What I mean, you're giving up. You're giving up like the bottom tier of cube of the QB ones in order to take Pollard. You, you have to take yeah, him. Like, the don't take uh, Latavius Murray over Tony Pollard because you have Alvin Kamara. Uh, if, right. If you're going to take a running back in that spot, at least get Pollard because if Zeke gets hurt, then Pollard is is another gain for you, uh, and you can get Latavius Murray later. But I think it makes it makes sense to go for either player. Just if you're if you're you know doing the math on whether where you're taking them at an opportune moment. All right. So you named Pollard. You named uh, Latavius Murray. Those are two of the premium handcuffs. Let's give everyone three more premium handcuffs. Can you think of who are the ones that you really want? I mean, does Daryl Henderson? Uh, I mean, Cam. If you if you're taking Cam yeah. Akers as a first round pick or a second round pick, Daryl Henderson has to be interesting. Yeah, and I guess people conceptualize these players differently. So with the specific handcuff meaning, I guess you are thinking a guy where it's more like break glass in case of emergency kind of thing, rather than uh, these two guys are splitting something. Like you don't call no. Devin Singletary the handcuff to Zach Moss. You're more like you know, one of these guys at most is decent. The other is Let me redefine then. Someone that you're taking in the top 20 picks. Yeah, that... definitely, definitely Daryl Henderson because – I think he's going to have some role in that Rams offense, but even if I was drafting him, I wouldn't have any delusions about using him in the flex spot in week one. I'm, I'm more uh, leaving him on the bench for at least one week, seeing what the Rams do. And if, if Akers gets hurt at some point, that, that guy goes from, you know, pretty much practically useless in, in a week to week sense to very valuable. And you put them in on that basis. So you don't really want to spend capital getting handcuffs where all you're doing is getting, you know, a scrap of some sort. So uh, if, you, if you're pursuing handcuff logic, yeah, you either have to single out the security aspect and, and check out that the price makes sense for you. And if you're handcuffing in another case, you don't want it to be just like some guy who's hanging around in a backfield. You want it to be that if the starter is out, this guy gets three downs to work with kind of thing. Okay, if you're following along, I'm Alan Sislowski. I'm here with Mario Puig. Uh, you can click on the link in our in the video below or in the podcast below to find out all our socials. Uh, go on to uh, Twitter and follow us at Rotowire, or go on to TikTok. Uh, we're putting out good exclusive video content on TikTok. Uh, Mario, par part of the the reason that I, I love listening to you is that I also enjoy following you on Twitter. 
and you have some good Twitter takes, football, non-football takes, but what is the biggest nonsense Twitter take football related that you've been hearing, you know, fantasy football, bad Twitter take that's going around right now. You don't have to call any names, but specific <sighs> narratives that are floating around fantasy football that you just, you know, you just do the. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I, I hate to sound like a, I'm not going to do too much of a broken record on Javante Williams thing again, but one thing I'll, I'll mention is there's a little bit too much faith being put in the, the concept, the, the perceived value of draft capital, and you're seeing this coincide with a recent uh, observation, I'm sure correct observation, that some of the best value in leagues the past couple of years has been taking rookie receivers, and uh, there's, there's this thing now where we just take guys like Tutu Atwell and Josh Palmer, who aren't really going to do anything in the NFL, and we say, oh, these guys must be valuable because look at their draft capital. And we don't look in this case at who these players actually are or who the other players on their team actually are. It's just kind of like this cast based system of analysis where it's just like uh, the best player is the one who got drafted before the other guy. And that's not how it works. So you have to account for who the players actually are. You can't just outsource all your reasoning and all your understanding to draft capital. That's a good way to just not know things. And I, I think you got to understand there is no like one solid or i guess you might call it a silver bullet or whatever if there is a silver bu bullet it's not just draft capital everything has to be more is, is supplementary information you have to kind of keep all of it in mind and and, and spot the weak spots in other people's reasoning uh, to find the edges in the market i think okay so we we we've been playing best ball we've been playing dynasty uh people have tuned into this podcast also because they're now they're starting to scratch the surface on their on their redraft leagues Zero running back is something that's a popular strategy for those of you who have been living under a rock or just aren't familiar with it. Zero running back is basically ignoring the running back position as long as you can in order to get optimal wide receivers. And you want the sorry, you want to get the, the big time receivers, the ones that you never have to guess. Do I start this guy or that guy? You're just going to put them in your lineup and get the points. So somebody had asked us uh, to cover this. And again, we don't have to go through the history of zero running back and who started and why, but is it viable this year? Because if you look at ADP, 12 of the first 13 picks are running backs, more or less, right? I mean, you know, give or take. 13 of the first 15 are running backs. So is this the environment to execute a zero running back strategy? Or are the run and when I say zero running back, I don't mean waiting to the eighth round. I mean waiting to the fourth round, the fifth round. Like, you know, it's a, a quasi-strategy. It smells like this could be the year because when everyone in your league's doing it, it doesn't work. But when everyone in your league has got that running back thirst, Mario, are you going to try in some of your redraft leagues? Right. I I don't subscribe to the whole, uh, what I consider weird school of zero running back religion. Uh, right. I think though that it's pragmatically viable in any given league, depending on how the market shapes up in that league. So the, when it's done pragmatically, all zero running back really was based on was some of these running backs are too expensive given the durability risk that they carry. And until they reach a lower price point, I will buy the receivers who are, you know, necessarily the, the sounder value between the two. So if the receivers get expensive enough and the running backs get cheap enough, it stops being the case because then the running backs have that durability risk priced in sufficiently. So it just depends on, on where things are going and, and the place you're drafting from and the order can determine it. Like there's going to be some drafts where if you're at a certain spot, the way the other people in your league are drafting, you're just not going to get certain positions at certain uh, opportune uh, market points. So in that case, you eventually got to give in at, in some scenarios, but 
zero running back in practical terms can kind of be in cases like that where it's just, well, I've been on the clock a bunch of times and the running backs were terrible each time. So I didn't draft any, you know, uh, there's, there's different reasons to end up in that place. And as long as the reasoning is sound, I, I think, you know, it kind of defends itself. So the question of how specifically successful the approach will be kind of is otherwise left up to how many injuries we get at running back. And I guess receiver uh, in any given year, uh, because if, if the receivers have a bad injury year, then the premise that they're more durable turned out to not be true. And therefore the market turned out to be wrong for that reasoning, but there's no way for us to know durability ahead of time. So last year was a good year for zero running back because Christian McCaffrey got hurt. Uh, Nick Chubb missed four games or five games, whatever it was, or some other crap. Oh, Saquon. Um, so stuff like that happening is going to make zero running back uh, just take off for that reason. But if the running backs don't get hurt, the zero running back teams might be in some trouble, especially if you did it in a high volume sense rather than a selected one. You've been playing fantasy football a long time. And I mean, you go back to the days where ma- where the internet was around, but the magazine was what you did. You went and you bought a couple different magazine at the magazine stands. And the beginning of every magazine, it used to, every magazine started with the same article, five burning questions, right? I mean, you, something variation of that. And I used All to I love really that. remember was just like Priest Holmes being on the cover. <laughs> well, I'm a little bit older than you, so I remember the five burning questions. And basically what that was was it was a 10,000-foot view of the five most important issues in fantasy football that year. What do you think, again, what should be one of those five burning questions we're asking in fantasy football? I definitely have one in mind, but I'm curious. If there was a a question that you could get answered today, I don't mean like who's going to be the number one overall player, but what do you think is one of the most important questions heading into 2021? I guess this is cop out, uh, not in the spirit of your question, but knowing what Aaron Rodgers is going to do would be a nice no, starting point. Uh, but yeah, aside from that, um, no, that's a good one. That's a I good guess, one. I guess aside from that, we've got to kind of, um, we, there, there are like a few teams that have a lot going on. And I think the way it turns out with those teams will have a lot of repercussions for the broader hindsight story that we're left with at the end of the year. Uh, I would consider the Ravens one of those teams, I guess, because I think, Lamar Jackson going from 36 touchdown Lamar Jackson to merely 28 or 27 or whatever it last year was, uh, it's kind of knocked him out of his previous sort of, um, you know, broader public canon. Like he was, he was the 22 year old MVP. He was the best player in the league for like five minutes. And then he has, uh, you know, five minutes of, of merely great play. And people are thinking, Oh, maybe he's the quarterback five now. And I think there's a good chance Lamar Jackson is actually the quarterback one again. And so, yeah. Uh, if that if something like that happens, if Lamar Jackson turns back into the player he was two years ago, uh, then the, the Ravens are going to are going to be like one of those teams where if you drafted them, you're doing pretty well. Uh, I think there's a lot of kind of fading of the Detroit offense that may or may not turn out to be correct. Uh, specifically, uh, I guess DeAndre Swift and Hawkinson have been durable from it, but uh, you're seeing a lot of assumption there. Uh, even in those two players, I think the market reasoning is thinking like, oh, but we don't know if, how it's going to work. Um, so I, th- I think, you know, any given question where people are kind of trending toward a certain set of answers where, and they're starting to ignore the other possibilities, um, you might you might find little, you know, narrative edges to consider in places like that. Yeah, one of the burning questions I think is going to shape a lot of fantasy football ADP is if the Saints name a starting quarterback. And oh, I think they'll be too. Yeah, that that was one of mine. I'm, I'm interested to know. And just do you have a, a a quick lean on that, or is it literally 50-50 you'd be guessing? I have no idea. I th- I feel like they have to go with Jameis Winston, but it, even in that case, they're still doing with Taysom Hill what they've been doing the past couple of years. You know, They're not going to give Jameis Winston a bigger share of the offense than they did Drew Brees. So 
Hill is not going away, which I find unfortunate, but uh, you know, I, I I think they have to make Winston the starter. Going with some going with some wishbone offense for 17 games just sounds ridiculous to me. All right. Every good podcast ends with a bold prediction, Mario. So remember that. All right. <laughs> so give me your give me a bold prediction. Anytime we do a podcast, you better come with a bold prediction. Give me a bold prediction for the 2021 season. And what I mean is obviously an unres- an unexpected result based on what we think today and what we think we know today. Okay. And make um, it a good one so people feel good. Don't give me someone that someone that's good is going to be bad. Give me someone story. that's bad that's going to be good. This way we can go draft them and then blame you. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll go back to DJ Chark. I think that uh, I'll, I'll say uh, there, there are two there are two, two DJs will hold uh, the keys to the to the the wide receiver points of 2021. Uh, DJ Moore and DJ Chark. They're, uh, DJ Moore, let's say, goes like top, I don't know, eight uh, at receiver and DJ Chark top uh, 20. Yeah, no, I I, li- I like both of those. I definitely like both I'm of those. I'm buying them both in bulk, so I guess I have to disclose that conflict of interest. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna keep doing it. My bold prediction is is if you've been playing fantasy football and following fantasy football for the last few months, which is a good chance if you're listening to this podcast, and uh, you know, I just I just feel like I've I've been saying it, so I have to say it more. And it's not a unique take, but I think Jalen Hurts finishing as the overall QB one would be a bold prediction, something that's in his 20, 25th percent outcome. Not going to blow your mind, but that that's a player I'm targeting in every one QB league. I'll get him and I'm going to beat you to him if you're in a league with me. So, all right, Mario, um, we sat for an hour. We did it. We gave people uh, a, a podcast and, um, our friend John McKegney, who normally hosts his podcast, is out moving. He's moving. He's got a huge pay raise at Rotowire, so he's moving into a mansion. Uh, so you know he has his servants helping him move. So that's why I'm sitting in today. Uh, you could follow us again on Twitter at Rotowire or, or on TikTok at Rotowire. You can follow Mario. Is there anything you're working on right now that you want people to know about and check out as we get into the Fourth of July weekend? Not really. I'm just trying to get uh, kind of some stuff in order so I can get into like a regular article rotation been picking up some fallout from like the magazine production and stuff and uh, the the radio substitutions with with the company in vegas this upcoming week might set me back a little but basically i want to get into uh, certainly going to be doing regular uh, underdog fantasy breakdowns uh, i'm going to get into hopefully some more general best ball breakdowns in the upcoming weeks as well as some sort of uh, targeted discussions about whatever a stupid thing I'm obsessing about. Does Rotowire uh, give you suggestions on what to write about, or is that do you have total autonomy? Can you write about whatever you want? Oh no, I mean, I with within the writing that I do, it's it's always like some prior point I discussed with Chris List what we want me to do, and so there's going to be some point in the summer where I get into like a more specific schedule, and and right now it's more kind of like. Uh, Thanks for helping with the magazine. Thanks for uh, subbing on the radio. Do some other stuff. Why don't you please? And uh, I don't know. I, I try to get stuff written when I can focus long enough to, to get my thoughts in order. Uh, I will say right now I'm, I'm planning to get something that I, that I think will maybe upset some people and, and kind of Good. be clarifying for others about uh, the Javante Williams situation and, and the broader question of how to actually scout running backs. All right, that that's good. So you can find you. Uh, it's at Roto Mario. Do I have that right, or is it uh, Roto Mario? 
Yeah. Roto okay, so at Rotowire Mario to follow, follow Mario. I'm at Alan Tislowski. If you can't spell it, both of those names are going to be in the video description below. And also go over to our YouTube channel. This is uh right now that we're we're doing exclusive content, stuff that you cannot get anywhere else on any of the platforms. We're doing uh football takes on sports betting, a ton of football stuff. Um, I mean, there's even there's some baseball stuff if you're into if you're still in your baseball league, if you haven't gotten booted out yet. So go to our, our YouTube channel at Rotowire, hit the subscribe button and hit the bell and you'll get notifications when we go live and with all these videos all right for mario puig and john mckegney i'm at alan Sislowski, and we'll see you next time see you next week bye mario